Welcome to the GW Business of Sports podcast. We talk about sports, careers, mentors, leadership, and a lot more here. And we do the show from the Foggy Bottom Campus in Washington, D.C. I'm Mark Hyman, professor in the Business of Sports program at GW. My producer is Henry Levy. Patrick Steves is the first GW student to guest on the podcast. Patrick will walk in a few weeks with a master's degree in business analytics from the GW School of Business. For the past two years, Patrick has been a star player on the GW men's basketball team, and I asked him to stop in to speak with students about the pressure, rewards, time demands, and the minor celebrity that accompanies playing NCAA Division I basketball. I also asked Patrick to reflect on the end of his playing days. On this podcast, we speak a lot about starting careers, but what's the feeling when a basketball career ends? Patrick, generally, I, when I welcome a guest, I say welcome to GW, but in your case, I guess that doesn't really apply since you're always at GW. Yeah, I've been here for two years. Well, let's talk a little bit about uh, your journey to GW. You, um, you grew up in Montreal. Mm-hmm. I was born and raised in Montreal, lived there um, all my life, and then my dream when I was a little kid, ironically, I didn't start playing hockey, like 99% of Canadians. Uh, my dad was a basketball player, and so ever since I was maybe seven or eight, my dream was to play at a Division I um, institution, and so my senior year of high school, I moved out to Connecticut, to Hotchkiss. From there, I got recruited, uh, did four years at Harvard, but unfortunately, had uh, some severe knee injuries. And so, uh, four surgeries later, I played my senior year, which was kind of a miracle in itself, and then was lucky enough to get two years of extra eligibility, which brought me here for the past two years. So you did not get an athletic scholarship to play at Harvard? I did not, no. So, I don't know if you guys know, but the Ivy League is the only conference in the U.S. that doesn't award athletic scholarships. And they're not entirely clear about the reason. What most people say is that um, from the institution's point of view, they say, why would we give an athlete a scholarship when we have this mu- musician over here, for example, that's you know, top of the world in his um, instrument or, or whatever, and so they, they feel like all of their athletes, or, or all of their students, sorry, should, um, if an athlete's getting one, also get a full ride. And so what they do is strictly need-based financial aid, and so they look at your parents' income, your income, your assets, et cetera, and give you a package based on that. So I think we all understand why you would want to go to Harvard and get a Harvard degree. Is it a difficult decision to decide whether you're going to go to a place like Harvard without an athletic scholarship? Uh, It wasn't for me, and I think for most people it's not, because the financial aid packages there are very, very good. Basically, if you get in, you'll be able to afford it, and then some, because like the size of the endowment and the way that they um, calculate your tuition, I think... uh, I forget the exact statistic, but like almost half the people that go for there for free, um, and then most pay only a very small fraction of the tuition. And so, for myself and for most pe- for most athletes, um, it comes pretty close to a full full ride. So you were recruited by Tommy Amaker, I, I assume. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about the recruiting process? When does it begin? And just give us a sense of the demands on a high school athlete. So. For the typical, I can talk about the typical high school athlete. For me, the recruiting was completely different 
and peculiar because I got recruited as a junior in high school, um, and they wanted me to re or not reclass not decla not reclassify, but I guess like classify up. And so I graduated a year early to like start with their next recruiting class. So for me, the recruiting happened in about two weeks, which is very not typical. For most high school students, it's getting younger and younger. So coaches can approach students and say, at eighth grade, um, and in ninth grade, they start dishing out verbal scholarships. They want to get kids hooked to their program. They want to get some verbal commitments. Uh, and for the kids, too, that creates some hype. Oh, I, I have an offer from Pitt. I have an offer from you know, a big time uh, Power Five conference school. And so it starts really, really early for most um, people. In the Ivy League, it's a bit different. You don't get a letter of intent or anything like that. What you get is a likely letter because admissions has the final say, no matter what. And so for a school like GW, which is still a very good school, or other schools in other conferences, if a coach supports you and your background is strong enough, you're pretty much guaranteed a spot. But in the Ivy League, it's not uncommon for recruited athletes to get their likely letter um, or to get an offer from the coach and then find out they're not admitted. And usually you don't find out on the day that decisions are handed out because obviously you have to continue your recruiting process. But uh, you could say, in my time there, there were a lot of kids who submitted their applications, sat down for an interview, um, submitted all their paperwork, and admissions would tell Tommy Amaker, for example, uh, we don't think that this guy will get in. So. Were you, do you think, prepared for the time demands of being a Division One college basketball player? I think I was, yeah. Um, in my experience, I went to prep school in Connecticut, which was all you do is school and basketball. You're in the middle of nowhere. You're literally in, in the forest. The closest town is like a 10-minute bus ride. You have a McDonald's and a CVS there, and that's it. So there weren't a ton of distractions. Your time was really solely focused on basketball and school. Uh, and so I was, but I think for a lot of people, it's a bit of a shock. Uh, Why? I think it's several factors. One is people don't realize how much of a time commitment it is academically compared to high school, especially if you go to a school um, like in the Ivy League or GW. Kids come here and they think it's going to be a breeze and, you know, they get behind on work and stuff and the ball the, starts to snowball and everything and catches up to them. Um, the other reason is the time commitment in terms of the uh, athletic demand on your time is also bigger than people realize because the time that's advertised is games, practices, lifts, etc. Then you start to factor in travel schedule. Not a lot of people study on the bus. It's, it's pretty hard to do on the plane in the airport. You'd rather just chill out, like talk to your teammates. Um, and then on top of that, if you want to play, you're not going to get better during practice. Practice is for strategy. It's for scouting, uh, doing drills. If you want to get better, you have to work out on your own. Um, whether it's sometimes individually with a coach, but there's time restrictions on that. But a lot is just going into the gym by yourself, doing extra work. Um, and so if you want to be successful, you have to put in a lot of time into it. So what's a typical in-season? What, what would a typical day be like for you or, or one of your teammates in terms of your schedule and time commitment? Um, so for undergrads, uh, I think it's pretty similar here than at Harvard. It's you wake up in the morning, um, maybe one day one day a week uh, you'll have lift in the morning, um, but usually you do classes from say 9 a.m. to 2 or so, and then you'll have practice uh, in season from about 
two to five, you'll lift five to six. You might do some video before or after that. Um, and then you go home, you do your homework. And if you want to play, then you come back at night or you go in the morning and you stay after practice and you get a couple hundred shots up or yeah, things like that. And when, when does it begin? When, when does, in your mind, when does preparing for the basketball season begin? I don't think it ever stops. <laughs> um, most places require you to be there both summer sessions. So most schools will get maybe two weeks after um, school ends, go home, come back and say June, and then you'll stay till August, maybe get another two weeks. Um, but if you ask most college athletes, yeah, they go home, but what do they do when they're home? They work out, they practice, they get better. Um, and so it never really stops. It's, there's, a, there's a saying in basketball that says teams are made in the preseason, players are made in the offseason. So if you take time off during the offseason, you're not, you're not going to become a better player. Tell us about, I mean, there clearly has to be a rush involved in playing college basketball. Otherwise, no one would put themselves through what you've just described. Yeah. <laughs> so there has to be something that justifies that. What, what is it? Can you describe it? Yeah, the day-to-day the -day is not fun. Um, yeah, there's the camaraderie, um, you know, you're friends with your teammates, um, but obviously doing three hours of practice and then lift, there's a lot of times where you're tired, you gotta just go home, sleep, whatever. Um, the rush is definitely during the games, and I'd say there's maybe three or four games in my career where you're in the most heated game of the season, you're playing your best basketball, and that like that rush that you get one every four games would be like uh, 2% of the time, that's just, it makes it all worth it. It's un, yeah, you can't describe it. So what's happening on the floor when you're feeling this way? You go completely unconscious, you're just playing the game, uh, you're not tired even though you're working really hard, you're just, everything's just in slow motion and yeah, it's surreal. Tell us a little bit about um, games or experiences at GW as a player that, you know, 50 years from now when you're looking back on your time here, you're, you're pretty certain to remember. There's a few. I mean, one game will be my best performance as a GW um, student, which was UMass last year. I had my career high, et cetera. There's, we played Harvard this year. And I also had an awesome game, and like just playing against my old teammates, that was very memorable. Um, there's also special moments during the season that happened, like uh, a manager turned walking on our year, the game that he on our team, the, day, the game that he hit a three-pointer, and like the, the the team went off. Moments like that, and then experiences. Uh, I think it's a theme across my career that the places that basketball takes you is pretty incredible. Are pretty incredible. Um, I've been lucky enough to play for the Canadian national team and gone overseas with them, with GW, we went to Japan, uh, our star Yuta's home country, and that was an awesome experience, not only to go over there and experience their culture, but have Yuta there and see that Yuta's literally LeBron James of Japan. Uh, what do you mean by that? Really cool. What do you mean by that? The things that you see on TV with LeBron James, people asking for autographs, 
fans of people like congregating around him, people chanting his name. That's him in Japan. Like after games, there were moms holding their babies up to Yuta, saying, "Hold my baby, hold my baby!" Like taking a picture. So it's uh, that was very cool. <laughs> um, last question. Mm-hmm. So when you were leaving Harvard, you clearly were not done with basketball because you could have just gotten your degree and been making pretty good money right now doing something um, with your Harvard degree. You wanted to continue playing. Are you sure that basketball is over now, and, and, and why? I mean, why, why do you feel differently if you do? I am sure. Um, I'd say I wasn't sure a month ago, but now I'm sure. Um, the reason I wanted to keep playing, really, it was a no-brainer. I thought my career was over. I'd had four knee surgeries. I didn't think there was a chance that I was going to get back on the court, and I did, and I had an awesome time playing my senior season. Um, and so I wanted to keep that going. And the other thing is I got a free master's out of it, and why would I say no to that? Um, And the reason why I'm done now, um, I don't want my body to crumble, and I think, you know, talking to doctors and stuff, I have an increased chance of arthritis, et cetera, et cetera, with my knees, my back. Um, And my goal had always been to play Division I basketball. I got three healthy years out of it, and I don't really want to play professional basketball. I think it's a different game, it's a different experience, and it'd be great for some reasons, like the travel, but I wasn't as excited at the prospect of starting a professional career in basketball as starting a professional career in something else. Well, thank you very much for coming, and let's give Patrick a round of applause.